Chapter thirty one of Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one The Curate Makes a Discovery. At length, one day, as he was working with a harmony, comparing certain passages between themselves, and as variedly given in the Gospels, he fell into a half-thinking, half-dreaming mode, in which his eyes for some time unconsciously rested on the verse, Ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. It mingled itself with his brooding, and by and by, though yet he was brooding rather than meditating, the form of Jesus had gathered, in the stillness of his mental quiescence, so much of a reality that at length he found himself thinking of him as of a true-hearted man, mightily in earnest to help his fellows, who could not get them to mind what he had told them. Ha, said the curate to himself, if I had but seen him, would I not have haunted his steps with question upon question until I got at the truth? Again the more definite thought vanished in the seething chaos of reverie, which dured unbroken for a time, until again suddenly rose from memory to consciousness and attention the words, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? "'Good God!' he exclaimed. "'Here am I bothering over words and questioning about this and that "'as if I were testing his fitness for a post I had to offer him, "'and he all the time claiming my obedience. "'I cannot even on the spur of the moment at least "'tell one thing he wants me to do, "'and as to doing anything because he told me, "'not once did I ever.' But then how am I to obey him until I am sure of his right to command? I just want to know whether I am to call him Lord or not. No, that won't do either, for he says, Why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? And do I not know, have I ever even doubted that what he said we ought to do was the right thing to do? Yet? here have I all these years been calling myself a Christian, ministering forsooth in the temple of Christ as if he were a heathen divinity, who cared for songs and prayers and sacrifices, and cannot honestly say I ever once in my life did a thing because he said so, although the record is full of his earnest, even pleading words. I have not been an honest man, and how should a dishonest man be a judge over that man who said he was the Christ of God. Would it be any wonder if the things he uttered should be too high and noble to be by such a man recognized as truth? With this yet another saying dawned upon him, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He went into his closet and shut to the door, came out again, and went straight to visit a certain grievous old woman. The next open result was that on the following Sunday, a man went up into the pulpit who, for the first time in his life, believed he had something to say to his fellow sinners. It was not now the sacred spoil of the best of gleaning or catering that he bore thither with him, 
but the message given him by a light in his own inward parts discovering therein the darkness and the wrong he opened no sermon case nor read words from any book save with trembling voice these why call ye me lord lord and do not the things which i say i pause for a moment in my narrative to request the sympathy of such readers as may be capable of affording it for a man whose honesty makes him appear egotistic when a man finding himself in a false position is yet anxious to do the duties of that position until such time as if he should not in the meantime have verified it and become able to fill it with honesty he may honorably leave it i think he may well be pardoned if of inward necessity he should refer to himself in a place where such reference may be either the greatest impiety or the outcome of the truest devotion in him it was neither it was honesty and absorption in the startled gaze of a love that believed it had caught a glimmer of the passing garment of the truth thus strengthened might i not say inspired for what is the love of truth and the joy therein if not a breathing into the soul of the breath of life from the god of truth he looked round upon his congregation as he had never dared till now, saw face after face and knew it, saw amongst the rest that of Helen Lingard, so sadly yet not pitifully altered, with a doubt if it could be she, trembled a little with a new excitement which one less modest or less wise might have taken, how foolishly, instead of the truth perceived for the inspiration of the spirit and sternly suppressing the emotion said my hearers i come before you this morning to utter the first word of truth it has ever been given me to utter his hearers stared both mentally and corporeally is he going to deny the bible said some it will be the last said others if the rector hear in time how you have been disgracing yourself and profaning his pulpit and the curate went on it would be as a fire in my bones did i attempt to keep it back in my room three days ago i was reading the strange story of the man who appeared in palestine saying that he was the son of god and came upon those words of his which I now read in your hearing. At this sound the accuser, conscience, awoke in my bosom, and asked, Dost thou the things he saith to thee? And I thought with myself, Have I this day done anything he says to me? When did I do anything I had heard of him? Did I ever... To this it came at last, did I ever in all my life do one thing, because he said to me, Do this? And the answer was, No, never. Yet there I was, not only calling myself a Christian, but on the strength of my Christianity it was to be presumed, living amongst you and received by you as your helper on the way to the heavenly kingdom, a living falsehood. 
walking and talking amongst you. What a wretch, said one man to himself, who made a large part of his living by the sale of undergarments whose every stitch was an untacking of the body from the soul of a seamstress. Bah, said someone, a hypocrite by his own confession, said others. Exceedingly improper, said Mrs. Ramshorn, unheard of and most unclerical behavior, and actually to confess such paganism. For Helen, she waked up a little and began to listen, and wondered what he had been saying that a wind seemed to have blown rustling among the heads of the congregation. Having made this confession, Wingfold proceeded, you will understand that whatever I now say, I say to and of myself, as much as to and of any other to whom it may apply. Then he proceeded to show that faith and obedience are one and the same spirit passing, as it were, from room to room in the same heart, what in the heart we call faith, in the will we call obedience. He showed that the Lord refused absolutely the faith that found its vent at the lips in the worshipping words, and not at the limbs in obedient action, which some present pronounced bad theology, while others said to themselves, surely that was at least common sense. For Helen, what she heard might be interesting to clergymen, or people like her aunt who had to do with such matters, but to her it was less than nothing and vanity, whose brother lay at home sick in heart and sick in head. But hard thoughts of him could not stay the fountain of Wingfold's utterance, which filled as it flowed. Eager after a right presentation of what truth he saw, he dwelt on the mockery it would be of any man to call him the wisest, the best, the kindest, yea, and the dearest of men, yet never heed either the smallest request or the most urgent entreaty he made. A Socinian, said Mrs. Ramshorn. There's stuff in the fellow said the rector's churchwarden, who had been brought up a Wesleyan. "'He'd make a fellow fancy he did believe all his grandmother told him,' thought Bascom. As he went on, the awakened curate grew almost eloquent. His face shone with earnestness. Even Helen found her gaze fixed upon him, though she had not a notion of what he was talking about. He closed at length with these words. After the confession I have now made to you, a confession which I have also entreated every one to whom it belongs to make to himself and his God, it follows that I dare not call myself a Christian. How should such a one as I know anything about that, which, if it be true at all, is the loftiest, the one all-absorbing truth in the universe? How should a fellow such as I, he went on, growing scornful at himself in the presence of the truth, judge of its sacred probabilities, or, having led such a life of simony, be heard when he declares that such a pretended message from God to men seems too good to be true? The things therein contained I declare good, yet went not and did them. Therefore I am altogether out of court and must not be heard in the matter. 
No, my heroes, I call not myself a Christian, but I call everyone here who obeys the word of Jesus, who restrains anger, who declines judgment, who practices generosity, who loves his enemies, who prays for his slanderers, to witness my vow, that I will henceforth try to obey him, in the hope that he whom he called God and his Father will reveal to him whom you call your Lord Jesus Christ, that into my darkness I may receive the light of the world. A professed infidel, said Mrs. Ramsor, and a clever one, too. That was a fine trap he laid for us, to prove us all atheists as well as himself, as if any mere mortal could obey the instructions of the Saviour. He was divine. We are but human. She might have added and but poor creatures as such, but did not go so far, believing herself more than an average specimen. But there was one shining face which, like a rising sun of love and light and truth, pillowed his chin, not on an orient wave, but on the bookboard of a free seat. The eyes of it were full of tears, and the heart behind it was giving that God and Father thanks, for this was more, far more than he had even hoped for, save in the indefinite future. The light was no longer present as warmth or vivification alone, but had begun to shine as light in the heart of his friend, to whom now, praised be God, the way lay open into all truth. And when the words came, in a voice that once more trembled with emotion. Now to God the Father. He bent down his face, and the poor, stunted, distorted frame and great gray head were grievously shaken with the sobs of a mighty gladness. Truth in the inward parts looked out upon him from the face of one who stood before the people, their self-denied teacher. How would they receive it? It mattered not. Those whom the Father had drawn would hear. Polworth neither sought the curate in the vestry, waited for him at the church door, nor followed him to his lodging. He was not of those who compliment a man on his fine sermon. How grandly careless are some men of the risk of ruin their praises are to their friends. Let God praise him, said Polworth. I will only dare to love him. He would not toy with his friend's waking psyche. End of chapter 31, read by John Sherman, Winfield, Illinois.